Hi, I'm Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck podcast. I've created this podcast because I want to explore how the mystical touches us in our everyday lives, how the sacred and profane move together like two sides of the same coin. I found that in modern spirituality, we often separate the sacred and the profane. We look at certain things as being holy and good and others as being bad. And I've actually found that the most magical part of life is finding the divinity, the healing, and the transformation in all of it. In this podcast, you can expect to hear stories from people on all sorts of walks of life. You'll hear from a doctor, a sex worker, a poet, a motivational speaker, an activist, a mother, a birth doula, and all sorts of other people who are walking on an embodied path of healing and transformation as a soul awakening this lifetime. Each one of our guests will be sharing their mystical and numinous and spiritual awakenings, how the sacred has touched their lives and the profane too how they have explored life through sex, drugs, birthing, meditation, prayer, experiencing death and life, and all sorts of different elements that God, Goddess Divine, speaks to us through. If you found that you're also a rebel mystic who doesn't just fit into the simple ideas of good and bad, of spirituality, but sees the nuance that life has to offer us, then I hope you find a home with me here in this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. On today's podcast, I have Madison Margolin, the co-founder of Double Blind Magazine, which is a really cool, sexy psychedelics magazine that has so many articles like how to grow your own psychedelics and it features women and queer people and people of color. And it's just, they're really trying to rebrand psychedelic culture. And I'm really loving it. And in this episode, she gives us the 411 about the magazine and really what's going on with psychedelics today. I love that it's from a women's perspective. There's so many podcasts out there right now about that are just like white dudes talking about psychedelics, which is totally great and fine, but it's really rad to hear from someone else. And she talks about her experiences with psychedelics being touched by God, goddess divine and all kinds of stuff. So even if you're a psychedelic novice and you're like, well, that's not really my thing, you may find this to just be informative and give you a little background um, about psychedelics today and how they can impact the healing journey, um, the spiritual journey. And if you are a psychonaut, then you may um, appreciate just hearing two women talk openly about psychedelics. So I hope you enjoy and don't forget to review and subscribe if you're loving this podcast. Thanks everybody. Hi everybody. Today on the Holy Fuck podcast, I have Madison Margolin, which almost sounds like just like a, a comic book character or a fairy tale character names. I was like, what is this name? Like, <laughs> Tell me, were your parents like, ooh, this is going to be really sexy together? Yeah, um, I was actually named after the mermaid in Splash. Um, oh, Madison, I rewatched Splash <laughs> recently, and it's still good, people. Go watch it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mom's... <laughs> and, and just for those of you who don't know, why was the mermaid named Madison? Tell us, Madison. I think it was after Madison Avenue, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and my mom is from New York, and she wanted to give me a quote-unquote New York name, and so, you know, Madison Avenue, it goes with my older sister, Allison, 
and then the mermaid validated that you can name your kid Madison. So I love that. At least she didn't name you Lexington. Right, exactly. (laughs) Or Astor Place. (laughs) Well, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. And so for everyone listening, I met Madison because she's the co-founder of this incredible magazine called Double Blind. If you haven't heard of it, go find them on Instagram. Um, Madison also does a lot of other things, and I'm going to let her tell you about them. But that magazine, when it came out, I was just like, oh, finally, somebody's like writing some cool shit. And it felt like kind of um, a cool kid's look at like psychedelics and also just things that were changing in different cultural spaces um, where everything else felt like a little too happy, happy, glossy, or a little too tech bro or a little too intellectual. Like I was like, I think the feminine energy was really refreshing. So I'd love to hear about how that came to be and a little bit more about your background for people that don't Sure. Know. So I've been doing journalism for the past seven years at this point. Um, I got started in New York, um, kind of reporting on, in journalism school, I was reporting on the Orthodox Jewish community, and I met a lot of people in that community or coming from it who were taking psychedelics on the weekends and doing festivals. And so it got me thinking, like, especially for people coming from such religious backgrounds, how does religion and spirituality factor into a psychedelic experience? And so that's been really the thrust of a lot of my work. And so since that point, I've been writing about cannabis, psychedelics, religion uh, for a bunch of publications, uh, Rolling Stone, Playboy, Vice. And a couple of years ago, a friend from journalism school, Shelby Hartman, came to me and said, hey, do you want to start a psychedelic magazine? And we didn't really know what we were, we were doing at that point. We didn't realize we were starting an entire media company. Um, we had been inspired by kind of other uh, artistic magazines that are in the plant medicine space, kind of in the cannabis space. Um, And nothing really in psychedelics had an aesthetic and a journalistic um, hustle, I'll say, that spoke to us. And so we really wanted to apply investigative journalistic techniques um, with really beautiful design uh, to um, to a psychedelic publication. And so we have a joke at Double Blind, no fractals. Um, you know, while we do love uh, visionary art and Alex Gray and people like that, we um, we wanted to kind of flip the way people think of psychedelic culture and how it's represented and who's representing it. And so that was really mm-hmm. the, you know, part of the impetus behind Double Blind um, was to bring all these elements together. So I'm, I'm doing that. And I'm also, again, still kind of writing stories uh, in the freelance arena too. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. That was an intentional decision creatively for you all to almost like artistically rebrand psychedelics for this next wave or this current wave of um, psychedelic usage or resurgence or renaissance, whatever you want to call it. Um, because psychedelics definitely have stereotypes. So let's, let's get into that. Cause it's fun. Like what would be like, what, as you guys were in your creative brainstorming meeting, I'm imagining that you were creating a list of like, no's <laughs> like, these are the stereotypes that we actually 
don't align with, what are some of those? Because I'm sure people listening are also like, yeah, like people that take LSD, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of this came from my experience reporting on cannabis is like, you know, it doesn't have to be like a stoner approach to things. And I'm, I'm not anti-stoner. I think there's also been a movement in the cannabis legalization um, space to sort of be anti-stoner and try to really uh, make the culture palatable to, you know, Wall Street bros who want to invest in the new hottest thing. And that's really not where I'm coming from. I grew up in a very hippie household. Um, my dad is like old friends with Ramdas. He spent a lot of time in India. Um, there was a lot of weed growing up too. So I, I am very pro hippie, but I think part of it is that you know, when you're speaking to an audience at large, especially as policies are changing and the science is progressing, you don't want to um, feed into stereotypes that are automatically going to turn people off. Yeah. Or not. What are some of those? Like, I just yeah, want us to point I, them I, out together because it's fun. Some of them, I mean, there's definitely <laughs> like a white bro or white hippie culture. Like you think of psychedelics and you think of Timothy Leary. Um, mm-hmm. And, or at least, like white men. Yeah. 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 And you don't think of like, yeah, well, you don't, you don't think of like, Oh, LSD, like sexy. Yeah. You think, women. I mean, maybe you, you think of like the grateful dead. I mean, these, these are all people who are like my, heroes, yeah. of course. but you know, we really wanted to, you know, psychedelic culture in general has such like this white upper middle class um, uh, tone to it. And we really, yeah. And, and, and granted, like I, I coming from that place as well. So I don't want to deny like my identity as, as a person who's co-founding Double Blind. But, um, you know, for instance, like we, we say that we're using psychedelics as a jumping off point to talk about like social justice, spirituality, science, politics, queer culture, you know, whatever it might be, sexuality. Um, and so there are so many populations that could benefit from psychedelics or who are using psychedelics who aren't represented. Um, And so that was part of what we wanted to do was create a kind of Mm -hmm. cast of contributors, both writers and artists and photographers um, and people that we would be writing stories about to sort of change the, the perception, not change, but to accurately show who is engaging with psychedelia, not just the the sort of like white upper middle-class hippie. Um, I think another, Thing mm-hmm. that people uh, stereotype with psychedelics that we wanted to break out of was this deep state like psychonaut vibe um you know so like the psychedelic can you explain that to people who don't oh you're about to okay good <laughs> yeah yeah um so- sorry didn't mean to jump oh, on good you. <laughs> um so like like the psychedelic equivalent of a stoner basically you know like when you think of stoners you think of um you know like tommy chong or something like that and the psych- from cheech and chong yeah sure yeah and and with psychedelics too, you might think of like people who are just, you know, wearing tie dye or wearing fractal shirt. She's wearing tie dye for everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I just had to tell it's the people pink. that aren't seeing the it's video. Pink. It's feminine tie dye. Feminine tie dye. I love yeah. it. Okay. Um, but we want it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think part of it is like, speaking to people who aren't necessarily on board with psychedelics and we're not, not, we're not evangelizing to the total squares and we're not trying to also like speak to the people who know more about psychedelics than we do and trip acid, you know, two times a week, but um, the sort of in-between person who maybe reads a psychedelic story on vice and then they kind of want a more in-depth 
um, look into the culture and the science and policy. And so that's, that's really, we, and we wanted it to be smart and not, not that psychedelic mm-hmm. um, content previous to double blind isn't smart. It definitely is, but I don't know if it's always accessible. And so mm-hmm. really breaking down concepts like ego death, for instance, or the quote unquote mystical experience or, Mm-hmm. you know, how psychedelics work in the brain and distilling that into a format and a language that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you guys have done a great job of that on social media and in the magazine. And um, yeah, when I think of like the other depictions recently of psychedelics in media, it's like, you know, I think of Hamilton's show on, um, on Vice Pharmacopia, which is actually really fabulous um show i mean not all of it but you know the 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 newer um season for tv i didn't watch the the one that came out this year but i watched the one before and it was really well done and well made however most of the show is men yes right mm-hmm. like i think he did go to um uh uh what wahutla de Jimenez. like did he in in met some some mm-hmm. mushroom medicine women i can't remember it's been a while but in terms of other like depictions of of anyone besides white men in the psychedelic space i haven't seen that many and i think that's why i was hyped on you guys's project because i was like oh finally have the have you experienced other um depictions in media in the last few years or in in, within the psychedelic space, I know that there are plenty of women that are advocating therapists, la, 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 tons of that. But in terms of in the mainstream or in, in the media, or how, like, what's making culture, not in like the actual just insiders club? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like other women, basically. Yeah. Culture and psychedelics. Yeah, I mean, I want to, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Zoe Wilder, who's um, Double Blind's publicist and also a badass woman who has really identified, I think, a lot of cultural leaders and and promotes them, you know, through her work as a publicist. So she's sort of behind the scenes, but curating like who's getting attention in a way. And I think that's really, really mm. important. And there are a few other um, PR agencies like Prismatics, for instance, which is female led, who are also kind of mm. um, curating and promoting, um, you know, women and they're trying to get women's voices into mainstream media talking about psychedelics. Yeah, exactly. Because it takes an effort, obviously. Yeah, and then and then there there's I think Broccoli Magazine um, is doing a mushroom specific issue, and so they also have a very like feminine energy um, and are uh, you know kind of a magazine like by women for women in a way. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that, but there's not there's not a lot, and even still, when I think about like who's in the psychedelic media scape. I don't, you know, the, the biggest names that come to mind most often are the men still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even think about just people that talk about mushroom usage or LSD or like, um, I'm, th- I'm trying to think Have any celebrities felt like they could come out openly and speak about that or, um, and I can't think of anyone, you know, uh, Sarah Silverman in, in cool. that, um, new Netflix documentary, have a good trip. So yeah. she spoke, um, the woman from Star Wars spoke, who I'm forgetting her name. Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Um, cool. I haven't seen that, so I should watch yeah. it. Yeah, it's very educational. Because I I wonder statistically, I'm just like, 
there must be so many people who are in the closet around psychedelics. And I remember, you know, kind of when I started writing publicly and sharing that I was into psychedelic, it felt like kind of the lesser of the things. <laughs> I was like, I came out of the closet as bisexual and queer, came out of the closet as kinky, came out of the closet as like spiritual, mystical, witchy. I was like, yeah, of course I love mushrooms. <laughs> but I know for some people it can be like really like where and how also because these um, substances are still considered illegal by the government so of course there's another layer if you come out of the psychedelic closet so how do you kind of remedy that within yourself and your own story yeah i mean one thing i want to add to the part about women coming out of the closet is that a lot of them are mothers um and that's there's a whole other issue as far as like child protective services and like being the irresponsible parent or something like that um but like for myself i mean at this point i don't think i'm ever going to be able to I would never try to get like a regular job or a real job. I don't think I could. I know. I'm past that too. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely, um, beyond associated <laughs> with, with psychedelics and counterculture, but how do I reconcile it? Is that, um, show that it's working for you and that you're a functional contributing member of society. You know, like I think mm-hmm. I am who I am partially because of my psychedelic experiences And, you know, I have a graduate degree and I work really hard and, you know, really my mission is to be the, be the truest version of myself and like kind of, you know, pull that up from my gut and my heart and expel that onto a piece of paper. And that, you know, as that's who I am as a writer. And I think when you're really living your truth and really um, on the, the path of your soul, which for lack of a better less hippie way to put it, um, that comes across and you do a really good job at what you do. And so like that's, I'm not saying I always do a good job, but I know that when I'm in alignment and like when I am feeling in touch with my soul and my spirit and I'm dancing and I'm maybe doing mushrooms here and there, I'm, I'm doing the, doing yoga or doing the things that, that remind me of that. Um, then, then I'm able to really like kick ass at the things that I'm trying to do. And I think the thing is, if you are someone who's taking psychedelics all the time and wearing it on your sleeve, but you also like don't have your life together and it's obvious, then, okay, that's not a good look for psychedelics. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I think, I think like you really, I I really recognize the responsibility that I have, especially as someone who's going to advocate for something that's so, um, has so much, that's risque. Um, to like really do that from a place of groundedness and um, grace and, uh, you know, confidence. And again, like having, you know, um, how do I put it? Like, you know, having the background that I do, like both education wise and for the publications that I've written for, like what, who's going to fuck with like Rolling Stone, for instance, you know, like, yeah. So I think, and I think it that's part of it is like p- putting it into a a framework that the mainstream accepts, and hopefully, exactly. in a way, I always say that you know psychedelics are becoming more mainstream. But really, what I'd like to see is the mainstream become more psychedelic. Like, how can we take the psychedelic values of oneness or empathy or whatever and apply that to the way mainstream America is actually um, operating? 
Yeah, such a good point. I love that. Uh, just and I, I when I read that in your bio, and I really appreciate that. And I do want to talk about that in a second about the mainstreamization because it's definitely a big topic for a lot of people right now who are in that space, and it seems to be leaking outside of the space too. So, um, but first, I would like to hear something about your own psychedelic experience, and also first, let's just also let people know what psychedelics are and i know that's maybe like well it's obvious but sometimes people may be like is this a psychedelic is this a psychedelic so i'm curious what you define as that obviously um (laughs) scientists can say many things that we don't agree with so we all get to um kind of buy into our own (laughs) rules and systems of understanding so would love to hear like what you consider to be psychedelics and also to hear some about your experience and i would like to even hear about a particular experience where you really feel like you touched something that really kind of aligned you with the practice of like oh this is going to be a pathway for me yeah um so psychedelic means mind man mind manifesting um mm-hmm. and really i think it it just magnifies whatever's going on inside your head and your heart space so <laughs> i wouldn't you know people i think have this notion that psychedelics and make you enlightened or they make you a better person i don't really think that's true i think that you know i think that they can put you in touch with certain aspects of yourself that have been kind of disintegrated from the whole thanks to trauma and other things. But unless you're, you're actively working to then like remind yourself and remember that that psychedelic state, like it could just make things worse for some people. You know, there's stories of people on the alt-right doing psychedelics, or like people with Nazi type views doing psychedelics and like that doesn't make you. Mm-hmm. A better person. So the, the goal is really the, like, you know, my dad always says, or maybe I forgot who said it, um, but maybe it was Ram Dass or someone, but... Um, my dad or Ram Dass, you know, same thing. I think my dad might be quoting Ram Dass, but <laughs> I, I don't know. But <laughs> I wish my dad were like Ram Dass, but you know, <laughs> fine. It's just my karma. Okay. Yeah, definitely my dad is a lot to learn from Ram Dass. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, you know, psychedelics will show you the way, but they're not the way in and of themselves. So mm, they'll just mm-hmm, open the door, mm-hmm. but you have to like walk through it. And I think that's a lot of the, the work of integration. And again, really asking yourself, what are the values that I'm coming to under the influence of this, of this substance? And then for me, there's all, you know, so people say that a psychedelic is like LSD and uh, psilocybin, which is the main compound in magic mushrooms, DMT, ayahuasca. Um, some people argue that MDMA is not a psychedelic. I think it is. It's actually my favorite psychedelic, favorite drug. Um, and you know, I, I, again, I, the reason I classify MDMA or even cannabis or maybe even whippets or something like that as psychedelic is because it just alters the way that you feel in your head and in your body and the thoughts and feelings that you're experiencing under the influence are out of the ordinary. So it's manifesting something that's been sort of below the surface. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's another word in theogen, um, which means any substance that can elicit a spiritual experience. And so a lot of psychedelics are entheogens, but there are also entheogens that might not be psychedelic, such as mm-hmm. different types of incense even. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to answer your question about like a moment of like mysticism or alignment, is that 
Yeah, quick. So you you would consider MDMA, but not like ketamine. Ketamine also is psychedelic. Oh, you consider that yeah. okay? And it's it's. I like hearing that from you because some people don't consider like MDMA and you know ketamine in the same category as mushrooms because they're different. You know, and that mushrooms are made. You know, come from the earth and LSD doesn't. Da 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 da. And I like how you just kind of broke it down as something that alters the way that your mind perceives reality and gives you a kind of greater understanding of what's already there. And yourself. Yeah, yeah yourself. Yeah. Again, ketamine and, and MDMA are not classic psychedelics. Like, yeah. But there's still, there's still something very psychedelic about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and then I guess the, to answer your other question, um, like probably the first time I did psychedelics, I was the most significant or like really put me on the path. Um, mm -hmm. So like I said, I kind of grew up in this culture of psychedelia. Um, you know, like all the adults in my life had had their own psychedelic experiences. And it was and were they telling you about them when, when you were young? Like A little bit, yeah. My mom told me a few stories for sure. Like they weren't in shame around not, it. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And I realized how lucky I am to have yeah. that open kind of culture um you know I listened to like the Grateful Dead and Krishna Das and you know stuff like that so I again it, it was I, I was almost like to to rebel in my family you have to like become a Republican or something and like not, mm -hmm. not do any kind of uh substance but um so I but I was like a really quiet kind of studious kid I never I wasn't really doing any like drugs or whatever in high school so much um but my first semester in college I was at Berkeley so I kind of like dove headfirst into that culture um and was reading a lot of Aldous Huxley like the doors of perception and history books on sort of the psychedelic movement and I did a whole research paper basically on the cultural ramifications of psychedelics um like in literature and politics and stuff like that so it's like you're reading you know the guidebook to Paris and then you decide you're going to Paris um so so fun yeah so I I did this whole research paper and then you know decided that I was going to try mushrooms I think I someone randomly offered them to me at a party I bought them and my older sister and the family medical marijuana doctor were my chaperones for me and two close friends. And, um, you know, it was just like transcendent, like just so it was like I was being born again for the first time in that life, anything, you know, life felt so real and so 3D and so novel and any sense of jadedness that you would have just from like the mundane experience of going through life had just gone away and everything was was just like transcendently beautiful and I remember sitting you know I was like on the beach and I said something like I'm shivering but it's not me and I was like so out of body and but feeling the sensations of my body at the same time and then I I just was sitting there on the beach I was, I was in Venice um, and there's like a drum circle happening and it was sunset and it was so pretty and I just was like oh like be here now like I get it. I get it. And I think, you know, growing up with Be Here Now, which was such a central part of like my upbringing and culture, it was almost like I had to rebel against it by not being here now. And I was always very escapist. And, you know, I like literally I was like a jogger and was always, uh, you know, fighting with my parents or like 
think like just just thinking of ways to like not be here now um and so that really has been like a a practice and like a a thing that I've had to deal with is like what does it mean to be here now in your body like when it's uncomfortable or when uh the now or the here is something that you want to change um Mm-hmm. and like accepting that with grace and you know blessing it to be a here and a now that you actually want to be in I think that's really the work is like we have to like being be here now is the only way to kind of exist if we're going to try to be like healthy in our in our bodies but if, if there's something about it we don't like then I think that's that's really where the work comes in to to try to change that so that was that was sort of what I got out of that trip and I was a little bit sad at the end of it. I was like, this was great, but I don't know if I like want to need mushrooms in order to feel the way that I felt. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm moderate in my psychedelic use and like I dip in when I feel like I need to. Um, but I also realize that I can probably get to that kind of state through like hula hooping, you know? Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that you were able to like allow yourself that experience and then also come to that, that line of thought of, well, I'd love to have the same amount of gratitude and reverence for life all the fucking time, you know? And I think that that is one way that psychedelics can be really useful. One of many, many, but is to remind us, holy shit, it's a huge opportunity to be alive in this body. And I cannot take it for granted or waste my time. And like, I need to really see the holy, the reverence, like come with reverence to this holy experience, which is like, I can even feel it in my own system when I haven't kind of had that deep of like a deep guttural cry of gratitude. I'm like, Ooh, we're getting a little like hardened. And I have other practice. I use other practices now more than psychedelics to soften Mm -hmm back into that place of holy gratitude. I do a lot of like embodiment breath work and and movement practices to get into my heart space. However, I will say that, you know, if I hadn't spent a few years really microdosing with mushrooms consistently, I could really feel the difference between a, a heart that's online and a heart that's closed. And you know, that is not coming from like a um, scientific languaging per se. It's more spiritual, energetic languaging. But that's that was my own lived experience. So, you know, that what you just said about hula hooping, it's like, yeah, because if you bring so much joy into your body, then you would flood yourself with, with a huge amount of joy potentially, um, which could be tantamount to some psychedelic experience. And... And I think that for people that have lost touch or because of certain traumas or experiences or just because of life really need a reconnect and they are incredible. And like you said, integrating that into your life, it's not just experiencing the sacred or just experiencing that gratitude there. It's like, if you don't take that into everywhere else, you're kind of missing the point. Yeah. Like it's just sort of what is the like I don't I just you know you could take mushrooms and have fun and that's your you know your afternoon but you know for me it, it is such it's sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not fun and you don't really know how it's going to turn out and so 
if you're whatever, like it's a toll, I don't want to use the word toll, like a bad thing, but it's a, it, you're, it's an energetic output. And if you're going to, to do that, you want to really come away with something that stays with you. Hello, quick interlude here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, I'd love for you to check out my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, my guide to healing yourself, reclaiming your voice, and standing in your power. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut. It was one of Bustle's best summer reads and a bestseller in three categories on Amazon. These are my methods that I'm teaching to inspire you, challenge you, bring up your resistance so you can face it and get free and unleash your gifts. How to let life make love to you, enjoy every bit and find the magic in all of it guide. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound and Sounds True or by visiting alexandraroxo.com slash book. Thank you so much. It means the world to me to have your support for my work back to the podcast. So from my own experience, psilocybin and mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms have connected me on a deeply spiritual level to my heart, um, to my soul. And I've heard lately a lot about how mushrooms are and psilocybin are now really being talked about, if not highly invested in by people in the tech world. So, you know, clinics and different companies that are already ready to like come out of the gate and like make psilocybin clinics and like you kits where you do your own ceremonies, you know, sessions at home, et cetera. Like, what do you think about that? And where does our spirituality or our religious experience of psychedelics fall into the future of psychedelics? Yeah. Yeah, that's something I think needs a lot more attention. Like, I, you know, I think it's weird that you would have to, um, you know, pay tickets to like go to a service at a temple, right? Which is a very common thing. Um, and I think it's weird, you know, people of course pay for mushrooms on the black market, and the way the way that uh, we've seen legalization happen puts it into two paradigms, right? Especially with cannabis, we saw medical marijuana and then we saw adult use recreational cannabis. And there wasn't really an in-between and the in-between being this third third avenue, which is the spiritual or sacred use of cannabis that reminds us that healing can be fun. Like medicine doesn't have to be like boring or dry or just a bunch of work. And by the same token, if you're just doing something for fun, it can also be incredibly healing. And so the line between that is fuzzy. And I think it's partially fuzzy because we're talking about the, um, like the um, arena of the soul and how like when your soul is nourished and um, nurtured, uh, you're automatically going to be like enjoying life and having fun. And you're probably going to make decisions that are healthier in your body just by virtue of being put in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is a state of like relaxation, rest and repair, as opposed to the sympathetic nervous system, which is, you know, anxiety, trauma, fight or flight, stuff like that. You know, when we're in parasympathetic, we're just naturally healthier. And so, Mm. and that's uh, again, the root of so much disease and, unwellness um, has to do with the way our nervous systems are functioning. So that said, um, you know, it shows that there's kind of this 
relationship again between spirituality and healing. So then the question becomes people who are, you know, now looking to um, commercialize mushrooms or psilocybin, how does that fall in line with like, how, like how can you put a price tag on something that can engender such a sacred and spiritual experience? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a huge argument um, or it's huge debate within the psychedelic space. And I, I'm honestly not sure where I stand on it. I think it is a positive thing that, for instance, psilocybin is being put through FDA-approved trials to treat um, depression. And so people will be able to get it through some sort of like prescription for psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. But I think what's problematic is that only people who can afford it or only people who want to go through like a very specific protocol of sitting with, you know, a blindfold in a clinic you know, with two therapists present, like that's not the way everyone wants to experience psilocybin. And it's not necessarily for everyone either. And I think there needs to be more of a reverence, especially for the way indigenous cultures have used psilocybin, you know, since the beginning of time, you know, when you think of figures like Maria Sabina, who was um, a mushroom curandera in Oaxaca um, and had introduced actually uh, this mycologist, R. Gordon Wasson to psilocybin. And he wrote a, a famous article about it in Time Magazine, and then Timothy Leary tried it, and here we are today. Um, But I, you know, I think, so the the main thing when we're talking about the development of the psychedelic industry is ensuring that the industry is accessible and that um, it it isn't a bunch of, you know, um, bros at the top making decisions about the right and wrong way to do psychedelics. And I don't think there is a right and a wrong way to do it. Um, and again, I, I really, really, really want to see a world where these medicines are accessible, whether that means like there's insurance coverage or whether that means they're just made to be really cheap. You know, I, I understand compensating people for their time and energy growing the medicine or producing it in a lab. Um, and I think that also means like decriminalization measures. So, you know, for instance, like Denver County decriminalized psilocybin and we're seeing a number of um, jurisdictions throughout the country, you know, looking into decrim, um, which really is the path forward when you're talking about a non-regulated system. And again, who are these politicians at the top to tell me in a regulated way how to take a psychedelic? Like these are not people who have the kind of experience necessary to like be setting those standards. Um, mm-hmm. So I, and one more thing, I guess, is just sort of like the, you know, on a bigger picture and bigger debate is like the relationship between psychedelics and capitalism. You know, it's, it's the same way someone brought this up, you know, should we be charging for water, right? Like water is a human right or, you know, should be, should be a human right. And yet you could get free water and you can get really fancy bottled water. And it kind of feels like that's, that's a similar model that we're beginning to see with psilocybin. Hmm. Yeah. And I was just thinking how now that I've moved to Colorado, I we go get water from a spring and I love the ritual of going and getting the water from the spring, even in the cold of winter. We like did it and it's like kind of intense, but it's worth it and it feels so good to drink spring water and not to buy water from plastic or like, you know, spend all this money on filtration systems or to drink water that tastes like chlorine. And so that, 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 um, leads me to 
in Double Blind, have you guys written about teaching people how to harvest or grow their own mushrooms? Oh, of course. Yeah, we actually have a course on how to grow mushrooms. So you could apply that. How is that legal that you guys are allowed to do that? Um, it, you can use the course to grow reishis and lion tail or okay, or turkey tail or, you know, any yeah. mushroom you want. So any mushroom, it doesn't have to be psychedelic and that, no. yeah. You're not responsible for people. Yeah, yeah. You know, do do your thing. Um, we're not telling people they have to grow psilocybin mushrooms with this course. But, okay. but we have also, I want to say, we do have a lot of content online for free about psilocybin, like how to dry your own shrooms or how to forage for mushrooms or something like that. Um, but the course specifically is for people who want to like take their food and medicine into their own hands and not rely on an industry. Um you know, for, for the sake of their health. Yeah. So that's wonderful. And I, I just, I think, you know, everyone listening, if you are called to that space, there's resources out there so that you're not like, you know, confused about it or trying to buy mm -hmm. an avion mushroom, if you know what I mean, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah. So right now within this space, um, where, where do you see yourself and like, how do you see yourself, um, in the conversation where, how are you holding your, your presence and your mission within this greater conversation that we just uh, touched on? Yeah. So, um, I guess to answer that question first for double blind is that we really want to use journalistic ethics and technique and investigative reporting to um, you know, put a magnifying glass on the psychedelic space and really be asking the questions about where is this going? Who's benefiting? Who's benefiting from it? Who has access? Who doesn't? Like, who's promoting what policies? Like, what you know, is the science being done in a way that is um, that makes sense or that that is a uh, you know setting like an open paradigm versus like something that's closed to specific protocols. Um, you know, so really, again, using a sharp lens to interrogate where we're at um, and where we've been and who's in who's a part of it. Um, and then for myself personally, you know, that's my responsibility with Double Blind. But I also, like I said, my my main niche is um, the intersection of psychedelics and spirituality. Um, like I co-founded something called the Jewish Psychedelic Summit, which happened this past June or past May, and you know in less than a month of uh, promoting it, we had like more than 1100 people sign up. And, you know, we had all types of topics from like, what is Jewish shamanism or were psychedelics used in like ancient biblical times or um, how through like the framework of, you know, a holiday or certain rituals, can you have a psychedelic experience like with or without the substance um, mm -hmm. or like, you know, the, the, uh, moral imperative to ending the drug war and things like that. Or one that I did was like, why do so many, I, I posted the panel of why do so many Jews go to India? Um, <laughs> What's the answer? Why do so many Jews go to India? Um, I think the answer has to do with trauma. There was also an, a, a, a panel on Jewish trauma, but you know, for, for the way I grew up, like, you know, all these Jews, including Ramdas who were kind of growing up in this like post Holocaust assimilated American, um, ex, you know, experience like they didn't really have spirituality it's like they didn't they were kind of pushing away judaism like it was not it was not cool and so they didn't 
they didn't have anything nourishing them in that way. And so they all ended up in India. And then today you have a lot of Israelis who are going to India and like doing side trans parties in Goa and stuff like that. Um, and they're all post army, you know, having had the experience of being soldiers and then wanting to really like let, let loose after that. And so it's this interesting, like cross-generational meeting of the, the various reasons how people are sort of like seeking and escaping at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I'd say like, you know, again, like I, so like what is my goal personally and like the goal that I kind of like try to um, insert into my work is like, how are people nourishing their souls and like, how are they sort of transcending themselves to connect with something greater? And so hopefully like my journalism can like connect back to that in some way, even if it just kindles like 2% of that soul nourishment. Um, that's, that's kind of like the thread that I, I hold by. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that. And I love just like, you know, why, why are Jews drawn to the psychedelic space and just imagining even why Ramdas went to India, you know, and like the lack of having your own spiritual culture or, and I talk about that a lot in my own work and just like that are the culture a lot of us grew up with in the United States or the, the rituals are like actually t- totally <laughs> devoid of meaning and become so um, empty, you know, unless you grew up with a certain like ethnic or religious uh, background really instilled in your home and held in a certain way for those people that didn't and that were just kind of in that kind of, you know, middle class Americana, you may have had a little bit of church or a little bit of this, or I, you know, put your hand on your heart and pledge allegiance to the flag or something. But in terms of really having a, a ground to stabilize you in your human journey, I mean, I just feel like American American overculture is is really um, dry there, and um, I think that psychedelics provide an opportunity, especially for a lot of people today who maybe rejected religion or because it was coming from this, you know, archaic puritanical or um, too dogmatic or strict or whatever rejected that, but psychedelics providing its own church of coming home to the heart, coming home to the body, coming home to this, this inner voice that again, takes you um, beyond the small self, beyond the the ego, beyond the pain, beyond the trauma, beyond the wounding um, and seeing that as a possibility. And I think it's really, I mean, it's caught on in many spaces and I really see it in the ayahuasca space because um I find that I have a lot of friends and people that I love who that has become their church. Um, And it provides um, like an anchor in times. For me, I love and revere and and honor that medicine so much, but it doesn't feel like something that is my kind of weekly or monthly church. (laughs) It seems like the soul surgeon for me when I'm like, it's like going to like the master doctor. (laughs) I don't need surgery that often. Um, But I do know a lot of people really like see that as going, going to church and creating that religious ground or that spiritual ground. And it gives people the community. And I think 
the community is huge. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the community in and of itself is the medicine, I think, you know, and the song. Yeah. And I, you know, that's super underrated when people talk about healing. And again, you know, whether it's like you with blindfolds and two therapists in a clinic, or it's a community of people who are kind of just like you, you're surrounded by love of people who matter to you and who you're going to see the next day and the next week. Like that's, that's really, I think, what America, um, I mean, not, not America, but like just regular capitalist modern day culture doesn't really put the same kind of emphasis on is the communal um, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because it goes along with, you know, singing together, dancing together, cooking together, eating together. Some of these things that slowly have made their way out of the sort of over culture in a sense it's like you may sing with people as an adult but you may not like ever you know some people may never dance and sing together in a circle but some cultures do it all the motherfucking time and it's incredible and it's beautiful um and i i do i do really appreciate kind of the the upper middle class white people like finding psychedelics as a way to like let go and come home and feel free to dance. I mean, a lot of people like dance on MDMA, like they've never danced in their life. Yeah. Like they can feel free finally, you know? Yeah. And I want the culture to encourage that, like with or without the substances. And I, of course, and I think that's the whole point of the psychedelic experience for me is like, okay, you, you know, you dance on MDMA, you, like, is there a way to just to try to dance like the next day without it? Exactly. Yeah. But some people do need that bridge, you know, it's like to break down some of those shells. Like I, I, I see that people could get hooked on it and like, Oh, every time I get dance now I have to do it or something. Well, like, if you listen to the same music or you kind of say you're like tripping or doing some sort of psychedelic and you're doing a certain yoga pose and then you, you take that memory of this this particular song or that particular pose or this breathing technique that you did while you were tripping and then integrate those um, embodied practices into your regular life. I think that's a way to ha- kind of harness the psychedelic experience uh, and then like imbue it into mundane. Um, yes. Turn to it every couple of months or whatever you need. And that works for me. Literally, I listen to medicine music all the time. And like my partner kind of laughs at me. He's like, when you get bored at a party, you go in the corner and put on your headphones and listen to medicine music. And and I, I haven't sat in ceremony for a year, but I don't feel like I need to. And I can still touch that place in my heart. And the music reminds me. And the music is so powerful like that. And I think that that's very true. It's like finding these portals these gifts like especially mushrooms they're a gift from the earth mm-hmm. if that serves you in de-armoring unsheathing yourself and then feeling what it feels like to be there and then using that as the touchstone but then continuing to weave that thread through your days mm-hmm. so that that touchstone isn't the only time that you feel yourself, know yourself, embody your soul, like that actually that touchstone then infuses your days with that level of depth of creativity, of heart, of soul. Like that to me is almost what we owe the medicine back. It's like, I'm not going to just come to 
drinking of your wisdom all the time. I'm going to take that wisdom and embody it and then pay it forward. And I had that, that download the other day. I was just like, you know, you, you got to pay it forward the wisdom that the earth gives us, that the plants give us, we have to pay it forward. We don't just hold on to it and then keep keep going back and then getting more and then hoarding it and then getting more. Like, and I see people do that, bless their souls. But I'm like, take take that wisdom, like integrate it, embody it and pay it forward, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, well, I wanna hear just, before we close, I, I want to hear something personal from you because I realize, you know, my podcast is usually quite personal with people, but we've been talking a little bit more about psychedelics mm-hmm. in general, which I appreciate. And I hope people listening, you guys can also appreciate because we're hearing it from a feminine perspective, which is actually rare because I go listen to podcasts sometimes. And recently I just said, Alexandra, stop. And I was like listening. I'm not going to name the names, but they were all white dudes who uh, I was listening to them talk about the future of psychedelics and about plant- their their ceremonies. And my partner's like, why are you listening to Aubrey Marcus's podcast talk about his ayahuasca ceremony for the 10th? Like, it's been like, whatever. And I was like, I don't know. I love hearing people talk about psychedelics, but yeah, fuck yeah, you're right. I want to hear women and other people talk about it. So I want to hear something personal from you about why psychedelics have touched you and like what, like why you care something about that, please. Yeah. Um, I think they just like make you more you, I, you know, and that's like, I, it's like, why, like, why do I care? Like, what is really, like, what's up with me that I'm, that I, this is like my life's work. Um, you know, I think I, I really do want to like feel connected to myself and to like, like the cause, like, you know, the greater matter of the universe, um, you know, God or whatever you want to call it and to community and nature. And like, you know, I, like, did you have anything that you really needed to heal or like work out with psychedelics? I mean, that was for me, the biggest first impetus was like, okay, no one else can help. <laughs> can you help me? <laughs> I guess I didn't, when I first started doing psychedelics, I didn't, um, I wasn't like trying to heal. Like I was just like so wildly curious about it. And, and, and I kind of just knew that this, that, that they have the potential to really open you up to a different channel and a feeling of connection that is just like beyond words. And I was like, I have to experience that. Like I just need to. So it was more from that, like, religious spiritual like wanting that connect yeah but then I learned over time that it could be super um healing and again um you know like moments I've had with MDMA in particular have just been so holistically grounding for me and put me back in myself and enabled better relationships and um you know I you know I as I as I started as I learned more about psychedelics and studied them and started writing about them, I realized, or, you know, that, that this isn't just for fun or this isn't just for, you know, like talking to God or whatever, but really um, you can, you know, deal with anxiety and stuff like that. And I, I started having, you know, especially like in college, I would have these, these insights, like I would do a psychedelic and journal about it. I, I always knew it was sacred, you know, like I always knew that I was doing something that was like very special and I would journal everything about it afterward. And, and I would come to these, you know, especially with like having a lot of anxiety 
and escape is like, I, I'm not like in my body. Like this is like, I deal with this all the time. Like I just, like I said, like being here now was this thing that was almost like shoved down my throat and like my rebellion against it was to, to be escapist and like not as present as I could and should and want to be. Um, and again, like there's a lot to that, you know, like in a family where people are like talking about like peace and love, but you know, they're, there's a lot of divorce and, you know, screaming and yelling and, um, you know, all the things that come along with like dysfunctional families. Um, definitely like I'm me and my siblings and my parents are all dealing with the, the wounds of that. Um, but I think kind of like getting to like the core self beneath those, that wounding and beneath the anxiety and the trauma is really what psychedelics have enabled me to do. And, and again, like, you know, specific to MDMA, there were moments where I was like, okay, you're anxious. Um, how about like, you have like an an anxiety hour and you like, just, just like give yourself that hour to be really anxious, but like, it's not like utilize that, you know, like kind of, um, like it's not productive to like have that bleed into the day, like, like bottle the anxiety and experience it. And then like do something else, like something else productive, because it's like, the anxiety about not being productive or the anxiety about whatever there is to be anxious about is actually sabotaging the thing that you're afraid of sabotaging because of the anxiety. So it's this whole, um, it's this whole loop. And Mm. that was something I worked out or, I mean, you know, like on and off, but I, it was something I really kind of meditated on in like, it must've been like 20 years old or something. Yeah. That's so sweet. So yeah. Sweet peek into your 20 year old mind. Um, did you grow up in New York city? I grew up between LA and New York. I grew up in LA mainly, but my mom is from New York. So my whole life I've, I've been going back and forth nice mm. in New York for a long time cool. going back there. Soon. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting just hearing you like, and it's a great for people to hear that you don't have to turn to psychedelics because you want to heal trauma. Um, and we actually didn't get really into that on this, on this conversation, which is perfect because I don't think that's Madison's thing. Like, um, that's not your area of expertise. You're not like a trauma specialist with psychedelics. I mean, I've actually written a lot about it. I wrote a whole story a few years ago. I mean, I wrote like a whole, I wrote a story recently about, um, I did five MEO DMT and like, that just like got to the heart of my intergenerational trauma. And I expanded on that in 5,000 words. But another thing that I really love to look into, which I encourage people to look at is like the way trauma impacts politics. Um, And so like how dealing with PTSD is like central to dealing with like the Israel-Palestine conflict, for for instance. Um, And the way like people vote or make political decisions or or whatever, that's all coming from trauma. Out of like, shivering gripping fear or yeah, like out of, out of existential threat basically you know? like yeah. feeling yeah. like um feeling like there's something that's going to like threaten your well-being and like if, if trauma is the feeling of being unsafe just like very very baseline um you have politicians who are like really taking advantage of that and absolutely i mean it's insane i we can't even go down that rabbit hole 
but let's just say we could pick apart many a speech and it's just all, I mean, the same thing even goes for sales tactics on Instagram. Like people know how to hit your wounds. Like people, we're being marketed on television, on Instagram, politics, we're being marketed towards our wounding and traumas 24 seven. So it's definitely, um, you know, once you start to to come into that awareness, then you can see, oh, they're trying to hook in. If you're not in that awareness, then those hooks just get in you and you don't, because it's like having a chink in your armor and it just goes straight in there, that hook of like, oh my God, if I don't do that, you know, um, it's fascinating, the psychology behind (laughs) manipulation. (laughs) And so, yeah, you know, actually coming into greater wholeness and dealing with trauma has an effect on many different levels, you know, politically, that is so true to have a country and a population that is not in PTSD or in just a highly um, reactive nervous system state would be a, we would be making completely different decisions. And that's why I feel like it's such an important thing to address our collective healing. I just watched this, um, documentary, you may have seen it called The Wisdom of Trauma with Dr. Gabor Mate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I highly recommend that to anyone um, listening. They also show someone in a psychedelic experience addressing trauma. And that documentary, and there are many others out there um, that show the impact of MDMA or psilocybin or ayahuasca on uh, PTSD. So I think that these conversations that we're having reaching different hearts and minds are so important, right? So that the conversations that I find the podcast that are just a certain kind of guy, um, and that those actually that we can seed other ones. And so people listening, you may not be into psychedelics or maybe you are, but this conversation is, is here to open your mind to the different potentialities of healing and of what is sacred and connecting to what is sacred in um, many ways and maybe beyond what our conditioned mind and society has said to be okay. Um, so I, I really appreciate having you today and I, I could continue and continue. I kind of feel like we just started getting into the juicy stuff, but sometimes <laughs> it takes a minute to, you know, there's so many different directions on this, but I think that everyone should go, um, get a, a copy of double blind magazine. It's beautiful to have on a coffee table. I definitely like had mine in my coffee table in LA and then mine came here and I just had it out and I was like, Oh, it's so beautiful with Maria Sabina on the cover. Um, and it's something that, you know, you can kind of keep going back to and reading. It feels like a little piece of art. Definitely you know? made with coffee tables in mind. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, tell tell people how to engage with you, follow you or what you're working on yeah, next. Um, I am actually working on a book about all of these things. So there's that. Um, so you can follow me at Madison Margolin on Instagram or on Twitter. It's Mar- Margolin Madison. And then of course, Double Blind is just Double Blind Mag um, across all platforms. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, thank you again for sharing, for giving us a great mix of the spiritual, the practical, um, the like theoretical, (laughs) just like a multi-layered perspective. And um, I wish you lots of luck with everything that you're doing coming up. Thank you so much. It was so fun to be on your podcast. Great. All right, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.